0: You are listening to the Queens of Quality podcast. This podcast will discuss some of the basic and not so basic impacts of compliance and quality within the pharmaceutical and biotech industries. We have a balance of laughter and education as we discuss the misconceptions about quality assurance within an organization. We are your hosts, Jen and Michelin. Let's get ready to start the show. Welcome back to the Queens of Quality. This is.
1: Hi, Michelin. Hi, Jen.
0: <laughs> this is Michelin and Jen back again. And Season today, two, baby. today, we are here to talk about audits, qualification audits, and requalification audits, and what purpose they serve and what purpose they don't serve. Jen? Please start. You want me to start. I do.
1: <laughs> I have lots of feelings about this topic. So especially when you talk about qualifications, it's really specific to vendors. Okay. So yep. and this is just more context for our listeners. It's specific to vendors. The health authorities are really keen and are very interested in how sponsors and other authorization holders manage their vendors. So part of that includes yes. the qualification of the vendors. Obviously you need to hire people who are qualified to do the work and who are competent to do the work in order for it to be successful. So the health authorities do look at this more specifically than they have in the past. I would say within, you know, the last 5 to 8 years they've gotten much more interested in the collaboration between vendors and the people who hire them. So that's a little bit of the context for our listeners in terms of, you know, why this in this topic specifically is really very important. Did I mention that qualification audits are part of the <laughs> vendor <laughs> every site? <laughs> qualification
0: and requalification are only part right. of
1: part of yes. And we'll get into the requalification piece of it in you know, as you go through the conversation. But typically, not, not, there's no but there. Typically, you're, I call them contract owners. And what that means for me is the department or function who is contracting with that particular vendor. Whether you have a contract research organization, a manufacturing organization, someone doing your data entry for safety information, you know, the person who essentially approves the PO and the invoices is the contract owner. That's the function it belongs to. Where your function partners with your quality organization is in the qualification process. This can take a lot of different forms. There's always conversations, I'll call them, about when this actually has to happen. For me, I think I may have said already, you are probably hear me say it more time, more often, I have feelings on this topic, so I'm going to actually ask you, Michelin, when do you think a qualification audit is necessary?
0: I have feelings on this as well, but I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily sure that our feelings are aligned here.
1: And that's, that's okay.
0: That actually makes for a really good discussion, I think. So, in my opinion. Mm okay. There are a couple of different scenarios where a sponsor organization would be, or even what we would call a vendor organization, would be looking to qualify another vendor. And part of that would be for small organizations where they don't have the expertise in-house. And so there's a dependency on A vendor for their expertise and their knowledge in guiding a sponsor organization to ensuring compliance with, I'm just going to say ICH, because that really is the overarching governing governing body. Mm -hmm. So with ICH guidelines and regulations and any other health authority that would fall under that. And for larger organizations, it's more that they don't have the headcount in-house. So there's a differentiation there because I find that with organizations that do have the expertise in-house, they still will seek out vendors to do the work because they don't have the headcount in-house. So I think that that's an important differentiation as far as when you would do the qualification. For the smaller organizations, I believe it's when they know that this has to be done. And so they're looking for someone who has that expertise and the headcount. And for larger organizations, I think it's when they know that they need this done and they just need the headcount. And I can be wrong. I can always, always, always be wrong.
1: So, Michelin, I, I agree with you in terms of the context that you just provided for the different circumstances under which people would need to or want to outsource an activity. You know, I like the use of ICH in a very general sense for this topic too, because again, it's not specific for any GXP. It applies to all XPs, <laughs> you know, where qualification or requalification is necessary for your vendors. So, using, again, that context between small organizations and large organizations. And again, there's always that middle ground and, you know, it'll depend. (laughs) The good consulting answer, it depends. When, you know, we talk about, you know, when in the process you would need to qualify a vendor for the small organizations that you talked about, like, when would that actually come into, I'll call it the selection process?
0: I, I would say... You know, after you have received the, you know, response to RFP Mm -hmm. or, you know, when you're narrowing down the decision. Mm -hmm. So before, before the paperwork is signed, right? not after.
1: So here's where it can get a little controversial. So I'm being intentionally provocative with my next question. You ready? Oh, goody. Yes. In small organizations, I agree with you. Typically, tasks are outsourced because you have a small organization. You can't know everything. So you rely on your partners and those people that you outsource with to conduct the activities that you want them to or that you're going to contract with them for. So if you don't know the topic and are not a subject matter expert within the space, how do you have an appropriately qualified vendor or how do you make an informed decision about the vendor's capabilities as the contractor?
0: So generally what I have found is that people go by word of mouth recommendation from others.
1: And that's, again, I agree with you, you know, because you know, someone that you trust, it's all about reputation, right? Yeah. You know, someone that you trust, they trust them. So by default, you know, you trust them kind of thing. And I, I had a conversation with a client not too long ago and they were talking, this was an aside conversation to the original I was having with them. They said something about needing to do a vendor qualification on it, making sure that their vendor was qualified. And I said, well, QA can never actually tell you if they're the right vendor or not. They can just tell you whether they can operate within the constructs of a regulated environment. And as a contract owner, they were surprised to hear that. So that's where, like, I know when you and I were talking about what topics to address this time around, I was like, I think that this is actually a really good topic for us to dive into because there is that misconception that. QA decides (laughs) who the right vendors are, you know, kind of thing. So once you get the vendor as, you know, the contract owner, because you've gotten recommendations from your network, you know, that these are the right people to do this, then again, that qualification takes a different, different necessity in a way. No so that
0: very true because yeah. there is an assessment statement within audit reports you know where the the auditor will state at the time of the audit, mm-hmm. this organization was qualified to perform these duties, or yeah. at the time of the audit, this organization was not found to be that gets into a whole other piece because. Generally, the was not qualified Mm -hmm. to perform these is generally a re-qualification or a for-cause audit, which is a whole other ball of... Uh,
1: That's two other episodes, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And I appreciate those statements at the the end, too, in terms of, like, this vendor is qualified or... I typically use qualified conditionally a lot because... And this is, again, this is where my intentionally provocative question comes from. Is it because when, as a QA person, you go to qualify someone, you're not able to actually look at any work that that vendor would be performing because they haven't done anything for you yet. Right. And they're not going to give you other clients' information to look at. (laughs) Right. To assess the quality of it. And if they do, you don't want to work with them anyway. <laughs> because exactly. they should be giving out other clients' stuff. You know, and that's where, from an initial qualification perspective, I, I see people, you know, saying, oh, quality has to go out and audit them. But then you can't get on the audit schedule for three to six months because they're, you know, they have other people coming to audit them as well you know, for that vendor that you've chosen. And now you can't start any work for three to six months because QA hasn't gone out and done the qualification audit yet. And I think
0: that that's where a lot of the qualification questionnaires have come in Mm -hmm. and where, you know, you send a very generic document with Basically, you know, it's the responses are very binary.
1: Right. Yeah. And I'm really glad to hear you talk about the questionnaire piece because I have become a huge proponent of these. And this is where I talk about I have lots of feelings, you know, because I don't ever feel that a quality organization to start work, (laughs) you know, to start work on a with a client or excuse me, with a with a study or something of that nature should ever be able to hold up that progress unless it is for cause, you know? And at that point, we don't have enough information for it to be for cause, you know, kind of thing. So that's where I get very passionate about when people start talking about, oh, well, quality said I can't start yet. That just drives me crazy because we're here to progress things. We're not here to put up roadblocks. And that's where, you know, again, it kind of falls into the whole like. Quality is the police thing that just makes me have more feelings. All of the fields, not just some of the good fields, all of the fields. So with the questionnaires, a phenomenon has occurred lately for me that I'm really surprised about. Because to your point, the questionnaires are there to make things a little more streamlined, make it go quickly, make sure that you're able to assess that the vendor can work within the regulated environment. Yep. As the quality person, because your contract owner, the person in the functional area, has already assessed that they want them to do that kind of work for them. So that's where your partnership comes in. I know we talked a little bit last season about the partnership between the functions and quality. Well, I've had people push back on me and say that the questionnaire is part of the request for information. No, it's not, and they won't give some of those the information, like you know your list of SOPs for the information. One of the like you said, it's very generic. There's a couple of standard requests that I do make. You know, do they have a quality manual? Yes or no? Can they show me the table of contents, just table of contents, I don't need the whole thing. Yeah, the list of SOPs that could be used to govern the activities being contracted, because again, I want to make sure you have SOPs in place to do this kind of thing, you know, and I've actually received pushback from two people in the last three, or two organizations within the last three months saying that you have to come audit me to get that information.
0: Those prospective vendors are putting limitations on their capacity to do that work, and that can be a signal that they're not the right ones for you.
1: I have to say, I've been doing this for years. You know, I, again, I'm a big proponent of using questionnaires as part of your RFP process, you know, so you, the contract owner can make an informed decision as to whether or not you think that that's the right person. Because you have information that they're a viable company, you have ideas what their turnover rates are, you know, if they understand how to work within the regulated environment because they have a quality manual, NSOPs and training and, you know, how often have you been inspected rather within the last five years kind of thing. You know, you you have that general information. Like I said, it's a very generic, usually very more binary for what that vendor is, is or can do kind of thing. I was yeah. very taken aback the last two times I've gotten those responses though, about it not being part of like there, it was almost, I don't want to sound dramatic. It almost sounded a little bit like a threat, <laughs> which I appreciate is really dramatic, you know? So I was, needless to say, I was taken by surprise. You know, and the clients have already signed the contract. So... See, and then that's where I would
0: think that the client needs to be presented with uh-huh. basics on when do you sign the contract. Right. Because and I'm feeling
1: guilty because I feel like I've let my client down. You know, because I can't say that you have a qualified vendor because they haven't given the information that I need in order to make that assessment. Right. You know, so, I mean, again, this is, you know, one of, you know, it's the outlier. You know, it's more the, I just had two within the, you know, like I said, the last couple of months and it just surprised me because I haven't had any in too many years. (laughs) You know, so that's where again I I feel I do I feel guilty that I failed my client because I can't qualify that vendor. it would be then qualified conditionally and what I do in these circumstances because there's a couple people you know sometimes they're a little bit newer to the they're a little newer to the industry or they're they've just gone through a big merger and they haven't quite harmonized you know again so. That approved conditionally type of classification is, again, fairly common, or, you know, because what I do there is that I go through and I give my, my clients, or again, when I was working in-house, I would make sure that the contract owner understood what their risks are. Right you know, so, okay, you have this, you know, company that's gone through an integration, they're harmonizing their primary processes, And so things might change. You might want to take a look at them sooner than later. And that goes back to the re-qualification that you brought up, you yeah. know, in, in the beginning too. You know, we may want to re-qualify them instead of our, say our traditional or RSOP calls for every two years. You may want to do it in, in a year. And you know?
0: I think that, so I want to go back a step for just one moment, and then I want to address sure. the, the audit schedule for requalification and the kind of the formula behind that. So I've actually had where going in to do a qualification audit, an organization wouldn't let us see SOPs and specific documents until a contract was signed. Sure. Because they didn't want, I can only think of bad analogies here, but, you know, they, they right. didn't want.
1: It's their IP. You right. Know they, exactly. So I absolutely respect that. Yeah. So, and I, I run into those situations as well. It's kind of like, okay, you know, we can do this again. We're, you're approved conditionally. With the understanding that you need to provide that information, should you be the one chosen, and it's that, I guess that's how your process works. Because I have other clients who actually send out questionnaires after they sign the contract, and that's
0: again, I my preference would be to have that part ironed out before signing the contract. Because
1: mm-hmm. I agree with you. Yeah,
0: we, <laughs> you know, and it, I'm I'm thinking about like we all have specific clients in mind, right, when we talk about this sure. kind of stuff. You know, and and part of me is thinking of clients where going back in, there are even with partnerships, uh-huh. you know where there's requalification issues and where there are situations that lead to four cause. And then that brings you know that brings us to the scheduling of audits and what the formula is for. Mm-hmm scheduling of audits yeah, because there is a formulaic for that, right? Like you look at what, what kind of project is it? Mm -hmm. So if a, if a vendor is conditionally approved to provide, let's go to lab testing. Sure. And you have a single batch that's being produced and, that batch goes well and you're not gonna use them again for a while, they don't need to be on the high revolution on the audit schedule. Agreed. If you have a group that is doing managing your PV database and you know that it's going to be a REMs project, you right. know that you know you're in you're in that IND stage and you know that you you know that your project is gonna be a REMs. The P V information, I, I know that given my background, the P V information is always critical.
1: Right. Sure. I mean yeah.
0: that's that's my perspective.
1: Right? <laughs> right. Right.
0: <Yeah>. Totally <laughs> biased. Totally biased. Yeah. And you know, and I know that we've talked before about P V isn't always invited to the table, but right until like later and they're like oh and now here's pv but if you know that your project is going to be a rems and you're looking at that data and you've got updates a lot then that's going to put them automatically higher on the list you know that is going to be more than likely an annual
1: and i love that you were talking about the formula piece of it because so often and I think that this goes back to, again, years and years and years ago, where everyone just did a, a regular cadence because that's what was expected. And now we do outsource so much more than we ever used to, so it becomes really unrealistic to audit someone every two years. Right. Right. You know, and to your point, especially for, you know, clients who are still in the earlier development stages where they're using a vendor once, (laughs) you don't want to have to go back and audit them because you might use them for another project, might right, possibly kind of thing. So that's where, you know, the idea of the risk-based approach comes into play and that formula that you're talking about, you know, so I have a, I call it a cheat sheet. (laughs) You know, things, again, like how to weight those different vendors, you know, because yes, I do have my biases with regard to PV and safety information, you know, because again, you know, you and I have talked about it before. The reason why we're in this business is because the patient, the safety and well-being of the patient is the top priority. That's where I always come back to the safety database, you know, and then is the product made well? Is it all based on good clinical data? Like you know, (laughs) right? You know, all all of those things. You know, so that's where again that formula that you're talking about, I think, becomes really important. And I know we haven't gotten into this a whole lot in terms of the business of quality. It can actually help people justify their budgets better when you can say, "I need to do this many audits for this reason." becomes a more informed decision and a more mindful decision as to who you want to audit when, instead of just saying, yes, I need to do my 85 vendors every two years.
0: Because that gets more into, and we've talked about this at length, not necessarily in the context of this podcast, but that's when it becomes more of a check the box. Like, did you check the box that you audited them? And nobody... Reads the audit report, nobody cares. They just want to check the box. Like, I checked the box, I did it. Move along.
1: Right. Yep.
0: We're not looking for just the check the box. We're looking for actual meaningful response. And what is it that is being done here?
1: That's where truly being able to have that formula worked out and your risk-based approach assessed, like that gives you that, it it adds validity to it. I had a client who wanted to go audit their, their epidemiology consultant. (laughs) Like, what what do you got audit? (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, what do you got? Yeah, it was, it it is truly an independent consultant. I was like, how are you going to do that? Are you going to go to their home? Like kind of thing, like. You know, how do you justify that? Obviously, the independent consultant is very different than, let's go with a very large organization who does have the capacity and capabilities to act as your epidemiology department. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Very different context. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, what does
0: that all look like? You know, because... You know, your epidemiology consultant is actually doing the stuff based on your documentation, based on your piece. They're not doing it based on something random else.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where, again, like, you know, we talked earlier about the qualification process and what does that really look like? you know, yep. and for the, the re-qualification piece of it, you know, I gl- again, I'm really glad that you brought in the, the formula specs of it. Yeah, because yeah, again, it makes it very purposeful, very intentional in terms of how you manage your vendors. Again, how the audit program becomes a piece of <laughs> how you manage your vendors. Yeah. yeah. Because that qualification, can change over time. Again, you rightly stated earlier about you know the requalification if you have to do a for cause, and you know what if they change their business model a little bit and that type of thing. So it accounts for all of that. Basic business practices, you know, because people are you know merging and downsizing and spinning off all the time. You know, these are basic business practices. You know, yeah. That yeah. how do we account for that from a qualification perspective? So, yeah. There's definitely lots of pieces to consider.
0: And how, you know, how do we account for that? You know, if there are organizations that have, I don't know, like merged multiple times or made multiple acquisitions, whose SOPs are you following? How is, where is the integration? Right. Because, you know, we have some experience, right? Like we're not just doing this off of, this is not our first rodeo right
1: right so yeah right and I mean you and I both know I again I have feelings and I I just I love I don't mind saying that out loud I love doing mergers and acquisitions work when it comes to harmonization and divesting and that kind of thing I just find it so fascinating the piece too is that as the I'm going to. I'll use myself as the contract owner now, not the the QA person, you know. But as right. the contract owner, I need to be cognizant of, like you said, how an organization of you know a vendor addresses these basic business activities of you know mergers, acquisitions, downsizing, and how do I manage them? And that becomes part of your vendor management program, you know. <laughs> I use, I'm I'm using the big umbrella piece because it is more than just the audits kind of thing, you know? So, and that again, can be a whole other podcast that we can get into, (laughs) but that's where, again, these things happen all the time and what makes the most sense from an audit perspective, you know? And actually I, this is fairly top of mind for me because I've done a vendor audit recently where... They're starting, they were, you know, it was an organization that was purchased. They still have some of the old SOPs. They're still working with the, the parent company is, you know, starting to harmonize. And they started with the, the core business activities, you know, like your finance and your HR and that kind of thing, you know, and now, you know, they're, I appreciate the fact that when I was talking with them, I said, okay, are you global? Are you multinational?" And they're like a little bit of both, but we're getting there. We're getting to that global piece. And yes, they will still have certain more local SOPs that they have, you know, okay. that they need. I think, Absolutely. You can't be totally harmonized in this world because not just in different countries will you have different requirements. In the U.S., you can have different requirements by state, you know, kind yeah. of thing. So they may have to have some specificity. But again, that overarching piece.
0: Well, and, and in understanding-
1: Europe well. It doesn't it does mean it's like the global piece, not just in, yeah, yeah. So we talk about EU because each of the different countries has their own requirements too. That being the case, it's like, you know, they're still going through their evolution. Again, whatever that looks like. They're still going through their evolution. So again, as the QA person, how much respect and empathy do I have for their current activities? If I talked with this vendor and I said, you know, On the surface, that's the important part, on the surface, this is a finding. I said, and you've told me that you already have a Kappa in place. This is how far you are in your Kappa activities. This is when you're going to be done with it. And they were extremely open about where they were. I said, why would I put... As, it is refreshing isn't it, it just, <laughs> yeah. right yeah and i said so why would i give you another audit finding when you're already in the progress of addressing that finding right because for me that then makes their transparency punitive why would i want to do that you know no. like that's where yeah it's not it's not as black and white as Those tick boxes, exercises can make them out today. Lots of different fields. It's topic, you know, but i like, you know, kind of when we were starting this, we were talking about the questionnaire. Yep. You know, and again, you know, however you add that into your process of selection, you know, whether it's part of the RFP, you know, you give it before the contract is signed, after the contract is signed, or kind of complete part of it before or after again. That's all very business level decisions to make. And those are all risk based decisions. Yep. You know, ultimately, you have your questionnaire that verifies the vendor that your, your contract owner has selected or wants to select, depending again on your timing, has the capability of operating within the regulated environment in which we are and that's the level of confidence that we can provide as a quality organization i don't know if they're going to get your data entry correct that's not something i can assess yes (laughs) i can tell you they have a process for data entry you know but again that's when the requalification piece comes in and you have to get enough information and work with the vendor long enough to get really what blows down to something substantial enough that you can take a sample set from it so that you can actually assess that they're actually following those processes that you said that they had initially. And that, you know, that
0: brings up other pieces, right? Because when you Mm -hmm. get into, just because they have like data entry guidelines doesn't mean that they follow them. Exactly. Right. Because there's Mm -hmm. a whole other piece that goes into that.
1: And that's where, again, having them start the work type of thing. Right. And the, the requalification that we were talking about, you know, they have to do the work in order for you to be able to requalify them. Yeah. Because, and I know you and I have talked about this before, where, again, someone gives you a really good team at the outset. You know, they're really good at what they do. And then there's a whole lot of re- turnover, too, in the meantime. Yes. You know. And that becomes a different scenario and it's a different dynamic within the, within your vendors team, you know, and right. that's where that partnership and that formula that you talked about. Right. Really comes into play in terms of when the requalification needs to happen. Yes. the you know? A kind of team, And that's where, yeah, I was trying not to go there, but yes, it's the A team and the B team. I actually say it's the A team and the F team. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Because sometimes it can get that, yeah. Yeah. You know, because it, it truly does always come down to the people that you have on a project. Yeah. You yeah. know, so that's, and again, we were talking about the relationship between the quality the organization and the functional areas in the contract owners, you know, because I don't know what I don't know. You know, like yeah. you're managing as part of the vendor management program. Hint, hint, we're going to have another... <laughs> Another podcast about the totality <laughs> about of the program. Right. <laughs> right. You know, so that's where, again, that overall program becomes really important as well. Yeah. And how yeah. all the pieces, because audit's just the part, it's a part of a greater whole uh-huh. for the vendor management. So <laughs> if anybody has any
0: questions about how this works from a nuanced perspective, because... Quality is not always black and white.
1: Is it ever black and white? <laughs> that's a question for our GMP folks. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: GMP is if a whole... did
1: do something, then yes, it is black and white. <laughs> right.
0: That's right. <laughs> GMP is far more black and white. And that's yeah. a whole other thing, too. We're We're right. not... We're just talking about this piece now. So from this perspective if anyone has any questions on this please feel free to reach out to us please check us out at metasconsultingservices.com and feel free to direct your questions to either Jen or I and we will make sure that we have those and get those addressed thank you very much for joining us thanks jen
1: thanks Nishalan. nice to be back it is fantastic Thank you for listening to the Queens of Quality podcast. To continue the conversation, please follow our LinkedIn profile, Metis Consulting Services, or for additional resources, visit our website at metisconsultingservices.com. You can listen to the show free anywhere you find podcasts. Love the show? Don't forget to subscribe, like, review, and share with others. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next time.